Okay, so welcome to another podcast episode. I'm joined today by Ian Ward. Ian, would you like to introduce yourself and tell people about yourself? Uh, about myself or about this, uh, the sort of story, as it were? Yourself and your story. All right. Um, well, in terms of the type of people that you would normally have on podcasts, I imagine I would be quite in the... Uh, on paper normal section because I moved over to the UK about nine years ago, moved into London about seven or eight years ago, uh, worked in the fitness industry, studied over here and then worked in the fitness industry for um, ever since I graduated. And uh, that was with teaching fitness classes. So um, circuit training, uh, body weight stuff, that sort of thing do it in parks do it in gymnasiums do it in um hallways that are been rented out at certain points that sort of thing and on the side because uh, I, I only ever do jobs that i like I, i'm terrible at uh, going into work for something that i wouldn't enjoy <laughs> so uh, i like teaching those fitness classes quite a lot but uh, they're not very uh regular like i would be working say maybe 12 hours a week that would be a lot of work because an hour a class you know you wouldn't be doing it nine to five mm -hmm. so there was always little things that i'd be doing on the side to um make up for you know enough comfortable amount of money and so something that i did quite a lot was uh, uh medical trials which in the uk are well the ones i experienced anyway you're getting paid quite a lot of money to uh, tolerate a small amount of unpleasantness and uh, other than that you are free to do whatever you want with your days they normally don't last very long anyway and while I think this would have been maybe maybe even my sixth I think fifth but possibly even sixth trial that I did and they always do health screening tests before you can be let into any of them and i passed all previous um tests before but this was the first medical trial to do with uh i can't remember what the medication was i think it might have been schizo uh, schizophrenia medication and the way that the trial worked was that they would be uh testing it on patients that did not have schizophrenia so therefore the medication wouldn't actually have any effect they didn't predict any effects at all so i i mean that sounds like pretty easy money to me and so when they scanned, they did an MRI scan on me and they found that in my, my left temporal lobe, which is here, you can kind of see where the, uh, th the hair has fallen out a bit, but apparently that's meant to grow back. And they, uh, they found a, a tumor inside there, which was shocking in the sense that I had no symptoms whatsoever. In the previous trial that I had done, they had done something called, um, I think it was CT scans, where you wear something that looks like a scrum cap mm -hmm. and they have these small electronic nodes uh, attached and they measure brain waves. And even though I was doing that, um, you know, looked over by very well paid professionals who know exactly what they're doing, still, when they're looking at the brain, wa the brain waves going on in my head, uh, nothing was detected. This was these were separate um, separate studies, yeah. and so they said that that's a, a tumor. It looks benign, so um, 
it will change your life a bit, but it is nothing to panic over. So uh, don't worry. What you'll do next is you'll go in for a second screening by someone who's a, a neurologist who's dedicated to uh, studying this sort of thing. And they'll go into a more detailed test. So I was like, oh, okay, doesn't sound um, like too much of a big deal. And um, it was timed poorly with when COVID came out because, uh, because my case wasn't drastically needed. And also some problems with my GP just sort of messing around with the paperwork. Um, I didn't end up coming in until COVID had calmed down. Well, not so much calmed down, but the NHS had a handle on it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And um, when I went in for the second screening, they said, uh, okay, this is actually quite different. It's, it's not benign. It's growing, which is uh, a, a big red flag because uh, the tumors go through stages. They go through one through four and then uh, it switches to cancer. So it's a, I've heard it described that it's a bit like um, the, uh, the caterpillar, the uh, pupative state, and then the butterfly. So it is cancer, but it has to get to that end stage until it's fully cancer, but it's always going to end up that way. Mm-hmm. And they said that uh, the stages of the tumor were... Uh, clearly more advancing more normally they just stay still and they don't do anything they don't bother anybody but mine were growing and when they grow they still remain not bothering anyone but once they've gotten quite large that's when they switch so it is a worry uh, even though it's not causing problems and so my um my my surgeon, the, the surgeon who was with me, he's an absolute wizard when it comes to uh, what he does. He's literally a pioneer in, in brain surgery. He's incredible. And he works 15 minutes down my road. So it's pretty, pretty handy as far as it can go. And then he told me that you can, you can go without brain surgery. You could go straight to chemo and you can go to radiotherapy. And we try and slow down the tumor's growth. Um, but the most effective thing that we could do at this moment is get in and remove as much of that part of your brain as to not damage the, um, the parts that it controls. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, what does it control? Because this might be a yes or no answer. And he said, are you right-handed? I am. Okay. It affects your speech and it'll affect your sight. And so I'm here thinking like, well, I rather like those two things. So uh, <laughs> ha- what are the chances that this is going to really um, end up in a bad way? And he explained about how, well, it's actually down to you. If you do it as an awake surgery, which is by far the best, it's unpleasant, but it's the best way to do it. Then he can have these little electronic nodes that go into my brain and then have a speech and language therapist there who asks me questions while he's you know, chopping mm-hmm. up my, my brain. And if my voice starts to slur, if uh, me saying that's a dog, that's a cat, starts taking two seconds instead of one second, then the node comes back out and he goes, okay, that area there is, uh, is sensitive. And then he would try somewhere else. And if nothing happens, then he goes, okay, um, we can go into here. Mm-hmm. And he was also explaining about how 
because I'm a relatively young person, or well, I'm extremely young for the amount of times that uh, brain tumors happen, my brain still has something called plasticity, which mm -hmm. means that it will, like all things with, with the younger you are, the more it does this. Um, the brain is actually one of the organs that develops very, very slowly, particularly with men. Men don't have uh, their, I think it's their frontal lobe isn't fully developed uh, until they are in their early 20s to mid. And one thing that the frontal lobe is famous for and explains quite a lot is uh, it's, very, it's what controls risk management. So that's why you see teenagers that are like teenage boys that are just running around causing havoc everywhere. Yeah. It's because they don't realize, hey, wait, if I like rob that bottle of vodka in a slur of like, you know, this is going to be gas, lads, like <laughs> that. Me going into prison and having a, like a, a charge by the police is going to be on my record forever for a 20 pound bottle of vodka that I didn't even want anyway. But uh, anyway, I'm going off topic there. So he was saying about how uh, because I'm still okay, quite young, that um, even though there might be damage to the brain um, seemingly after the surgery, it will come back a lot sooner than it would if I had been, say, 41 instead of 31. So he was saying, even though this is terrible happening to you, you are at a good age for this to happen because now that we know it's there, the recovery is going to be far, far greater and all these other things are going to be much better. Mm -hmm. And he was quite right. They, because there's so little research done on people my age who get tumors uh, that's essentially at random. It never happens. Yeah. Normally someone is having a headache or they're getting dizzy. But by the time a tumor is giving out those effects, it's usually either already in that cancer butterfly stage or it's very late stage four, which it's going to transfer into cancer quite quickly. It only starts messing with the brain once it's kind of got a more cynical or not a cynical, um, a more unsavory handle on the organ itself. Mm -hmm. So after that, the, my speech came back in about six days after the actual surgery. There was, there was parts where I wasn't able to say the word hospital. Uh, I had to say, it's like a hostel, but it's not. I had to say that to the, mm -hmm. the nursing staff because uh, that was one of the neurological nurses. That's what they asked. They asked, what's your name? Where are you? What day of the week is it? What's today's date? And I struggled with saying I'm in St. George's Hospital on the neuro ward. And I had a workaround for saying the word ward. And that was to remember that that was my second name. Mm -hmm. But as the word came out, it would still sound incorrect. So... Uh, it was it was quite a bizarre experience, but during the day it would go up and it would go down. So it wasn't like day one was really hard and then day two was easier. It was um, I always had quite a lot of hope because even when I'd be having a conversation with someone and I would just like step back and say, I I don't understand anything that was just said. Can we have this conversation later? And then having those conversations later and being able to understand like it, it does wonders for your um for your confidence and um your, your happiness knowing that 
even though there might be a problem, it will fade away and you'll be able to get by. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the doctor, the surgeon, who is this guy who's incredibly well known, still didn't know enough about how this would affect a 30-year-old. So his prediction was that it would be six months to about a year for full recovery. And then it happened in six days. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty great getting over that as, as quickly as we did. Then a week after the surgery happened, I was coming in for my second appointment because once the tumor is out of the brain, they, they do biopsies on them and they do a, a load of different medical tests. And it was at that point where they said, okay, I'm sure you've heard this before, Ian, but uh, we were wrong about the tumor while we were looking at it. And it's actually more dangerous than what we thought. It's at stage three. And so I said then, all right, well, what does that mean in terms of treatment? What that means in terms of future? And he starts going through um, the treatment, which was uh, radiotherapy and chemotherapy, which is what I'm, I'm doing at the moment. And then he was, the way he was kind of talking, I kind of got the, the feeling where I was like, this, this doesn't sound like it's too long. So how many years are we talking here? And he goes, well, we don't know really, because again, you're 30. And so it's unknown territory in terms of research. We don't have that much data on people uh, of your age that have discovered these tumors by chance. He said that there was only one other person that in his whole career he had uh, had the same experience with. So they said, on paper, you've Mm -hmm. got one to six years, but that is based off of people who are twice your age. So maybe, maybe not. Leaves you in quite the uh, large area of unknown as to how long things are are going to be but i sort of thought all right well let's let's take it as the worst case scenario and play it safe as safe as one can and try to do as much as i can within those five years of um like that film you know the the bucket list where who is it it's uh, morgan freeman and jack nicholson and i so i yeah, and I kind of I I said to myself, well, I don't really have much of a, uh, a a bucket list. There was things that I wanted, but they were more uh, family based, uh, just long term things in terms of uh, having a large family and uh, raising my kids right sort of thing. So, it, like, fair enough, that's out. Let's see what else we can work with. And so I decided, all right, well you may as well do something very bizarre because you're in a very bizarre position. So do something very bizarre with it. And one of the advantages uh, of having brain cancer over say maybe lung or colon cancer is that brain cancer, you are completely able to maintain how you live until it gets to the very end stages. Once it gets to the very end stages, you absolutely nosedive but all the way up to that point you're you're able to just go about your day like a a perfectly normal person you're uh, you'll be able to learn new things just as much as anyone else of you know the age i am uh you'll be able to lift a weight and your muscle will respond to it um in the right way the next day all that sort of thing 
so I started thinking, all right, well, you may as well do something for charity, try and come up with uh, a, 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 some fun charitable events. I was going to do this anyway um, when I thought that I had a lot more time, but they were going to be on a very small scale. Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, all right, well, go the opposite way then. This news is a lot more dramatic. So start looking up world records and just see if they're how achievable they really are. And I looked up and I found the one for running a marathon was uh, 2.7 million pounds. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, was, it was hard. I, I, like, I broke it down. I broke it down to like, how much does that break down to a day? Uh, what would I need to do? Is it possible? And I, I, I hazard a guess that, all right, maybe if you absolutely like, focus on this morning, noon and night, you can be able to do this. It's, and it's, it was all about the idea of um, getting a momentum going on some form of social media and then hopefully having it where uh, it grows in an exponential way so that the next day it's, you know, reaching a lot more people than it did, you know, two weeks ago and on and on it goes. And then with that, I then thought, okay, well, it's got to be even more ridiculous than that. So. I was then tinkering around with the other uh, world records and I was like, I wonder what world records there are for people dressed as things. And just to do it when COVID happened, I had started a, uh, a video game channel on YouTube because something I'm into and I thought, uh, I may as well have a little bit of fun with this, see where it goes. And then so I decided, I, I looked up uh, the video game character, how fast they run. Mm-hmm. And Again, it was an equally as difficult world record, but it could be done. I think it could be achieved if there's enough look and enough effort that's thrown in there. I think it can be done. So I thought, all right, may as well just mash them together and see how it goes. Mm -hmm. So what did you come out with? Uh, When does the the marathon come out? Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's planned to be... Uh, London 22, which okay. is, uh, it's always done in April, so it should be in and around 18 months at this stage. Okay, cool. So you're going to be running the London Marathon as a video game character? Yeah. What well, one? <laughs> Haven't figured it out yet because there's a, there's, it's not as easy as it sounds because you've got to be running at, at, at a blistering pace to break a three-hour marathon. Mm-hmm. And what you are wearing will matter a lot. So the way I would want to, as best I could, I'd like to have a computer game character that uh, made sense because, you know, one that I would like. But then also... I've got to be able to run in whatever they wear or whatever they they dress as because if I can't, I mean, it's already hard enough to be able to wear like you know proper running gear. But now, you know, the idea that I might have to have a little cardboard sword on my back or a, a fake gun of some kind it adds in, you know, yeah. yeah, a whole lot of issues. Excellent, excellent. So, okay, so. Um, this is quite a new, it was new news for you. It wasn't like, it's very recent that you found out about this. Yeah, it was um, July 20th was uh, 
the second batch of news where they said it was stage three. Hmm. So you're moving fast with the plants and not, you're not letting with which, it, you're moving fast with the plants. You haven't let it get you down. And, uh, uh yeah, yeah. Um, no, not at all. There's not enough, um, I, I, I find it sort of difficult to, to get really bummed out and down about it because it's difficult to fathom what's really happening because it's not affecting me yet. So I have to go in for treatment, but that doesn't uh, feel that bizarre. Like if you have an appointment and you go in and you've got to give some, some bloods and like radiotherapy, you, it's, it's like an x-ray except far quicker. So mm -hmm. if you have to do that every day, it, it doesn't feel especially strange or stressful. So I don't know. I've been thinking about this uh, sometimes, not a lot. It's not the sort of thing that you would like to dwell upon just in case it goes the wrong way. Yeah. But I think it's far more to do with the fact that I just can't uh, feel any of the issues as of yet. So it's difficult to, when you can't see something, it doesn't feel threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I admire the way that you're handling the moose. Um, I'm not sure how I would have taken it. Um, so, so what else have you got on your bucket list? Can you tell us about any other plants you got? Um. Oh, well, it's all little sort of fun charity things that I wanted to do uh, as ways of uh, forming uh, just things that were entertaining so that it wouldn't just be a case of me getting people to uh, get on board with this achievement, this goal, because it's something worthwhile. Because, you know, there's so, everybody is connected to each other so much around the world that we all get too many advertisements for uh, all sorts of, you know, negative things that are going on all around the world. And then when people start asking for charity, it's almost like it, it falls on deaf ears, not because someone is, you know, uh, cold or inhuman in any way. It's just because when there's a thousand different things that are all worthwhile causes come flooding into you at one stage, it's difficult to, to say, uh, well, that one's the best. That one is the best. The other 999, uh, they're not worth my... Uh, my money because it just overwhelms people yeah. so I thought that it was the only way to do this is to to make it more entertaining for people so that it gives them a reason to both watch and to uh, to donate so I've been coming up with loads of ideas that will uh, that will do that like try to do a drunken marathon maybe do that in Berlin mm -hmm. because uh, they, Berlin isn't the area where they do this but Oktoberfest goes on at the same time as the Berlin Marathon. So, you know, maybe get a load of people, some of them my friends, some of them, you know, complete strangers, it wouldn't matter to me, and go down to Oktoberfest, have some drinks, you know, have a, have a documentary style uh, recording of it, and then go back up to Berlin and do the Berlin Marathon. But the rule is you're only allowed to drink, like, beer, no water allowed, <laughs> and uh, see how far you can get through that. Uh, another one was um, you got to go as doctors and patients. Mm -hmm. The patient is always in a wheelchair and the doctor is always pushing. The doctor's got to wear like a, 
the the doctor's uniform, you know, the the elongated coat, the white one. Mm-hmm. And so the person who's sitting is resting. The person who's pushing is working, and then they can switch as much as they want, but they have to change the clothes as well. Yeah. So and then you know get maybe uh, ten people to do it. So uh, five teams of two. And then just have that again, like an inner competition between us and again, record it as much as possible, get it up to whatever social media works best and just portray it to people and make it something fun to follow. Maybe get yeah. in touch with, you know, Red Bull or LucasAid or something and be like, hey, can we have LucasAid sponsor, you know, the the vials that will be coming out on um, those stands. Mm-hmm. And there's just lots of little options like that that I think you can kind of make things fun and entertaining and then entertaining to do while at the same time worthy of something yep that sounds like a good idea fun a fun idea so is there any specific charity that you have in mind or have you not decided yet uh yeah so it's all cancer research and the way i kind of thought would be the smartest way to go about it um, would be to uh, give people the options. So because it's a social media movement that I'm sort of trying to make, uh, it's going to be, it might go anywhere in the world and become popular there. Like there's no reason why, you know, for some bizarre reason, it becomes a big thing in New Zealand, but nowhere, nowhere else. You know, the mm-hmm. kind of the internet can kind of flow around a bit like that. It has a, it's not exactly like a river where you can predict where it's going to go. So yeah. I got, uh, four charities from the uk from ireland uh the usa and australia uh they're all for cancer research so it doesn't really matter too much who you donate to because if one of them gets the research done and is able to uh, cure a certain element or make a better treatment they're not going to withhold that information to anybody they want to spread it out to all the other uh, nations of the world as quickly as possible because maybe another nation might have a, a certain tweak that that country overlooked and then the progress is made even better. So mm-hmm. it's science. People don't keep it to themselves. So the, uh, the American, uh, I'll get the, the names here just so I'm not making any sort of mistakes whatsoever. The Irish Cancer Society is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the American Cancer Society is another. Uh, the, uh, Cancer or uh, Cure Cancer Research Australia is another, and then the last one is the uh, Cancer Research UK. Excellent. So those four. Excellent. And do you have a sum in mind that you want to raise? Have you got a target? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The um, so uh, with the various funds, it's not for each country, but I'll just use their. Um, their currency so people know but altogether it doesn't matter who uh, gets a charitable donation to but it has to amount to 2.7 million pounds 3.1 million euro Mm -hmm. 3.7 million uh, US dollars and 5.1 million Australian dollars so it's not a small amount of money no (laughs) that's that's an that's an admirable target and yeah. an inspiring story. Uh, so thank you for joining us on the podcast, Gayen. How can people find you? 
the easiest th so like i was saying i'm trying to do it through social media as much as possible uh and it there's two that i'm using a lot i'm trying to get out there and do as many as possible but at the moment it's really focused around the uh the facebook one mm -hmm. which is if you type in uh, cancer not can't sir <laughs> that's the uh the facebook one uh youtube is if you type in my uh, a nickname of mine, which is Liam, just because it sounds like Ian. My friends aren't uh, especially creative. And it's uh, Liam T.W. And if you just type that in, and then any words to do with what I'm up to, so uh, marathon, cancer, gaming, anything like that, you'll be able to find the channel um, without any issues. Um, they're kind of different. So the, the YouTube one is more about... Um, jokes and uh, piss takes and sketches and it has lots of things to do with uh what i'm up to in terms of running races training all that sort of thing but it is uh, much more based around like being comedic and entertaining and then the facebook one is much more around uh what is the daily life like so uh so one of my friends was telling me that um live streaming is extremely popular at the moment so uh, they they got me to start doing that. I, I'm not a huge fan of it. I wouldn't have done it if it was uh, if it was uh, just for fun. But uh, they were saying that it really does help interact with people and let people know uh, how the Monday is different to the Tuesday and how the Tuesday is different to the Wednesday. And they were uh, yes, those are the sort of differences between the two. But they're not a million miles apart. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, thank you very much uh, for joining me today. Yeah. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking to you.